0: what's going on friends of the rocky cast for this episode we're going to cover the how do you like them apples by the leading conservative politician pierre um one of the leading canadian politicians in canada i don't know if you've seen this video but about a month ago he did this how do you like them apples interview in Kelowna, british columbia which is in south central british columbia for those of you who are interested And he totally ripped apart this video, who was asking these half-assed questions. It's hilariously funny. The video went totally viral. But I thought I would kind of dive deep into it to kind of offer my take as to why the video works, why it resonated with so so many people, and maybe what some Republicans can learn um, from this video. Because I think one of the reasons why they lose is that when they shouldn't is their rhetoric. And so they could really learn something in this nine-minute video. If they could absorb the lessons, I think they could much more effectively take down a lot of the Dems' arguments that are often cited. It's easy to blame the Dems, but if you're not able to take down the Dems rhetorically, that's on you as much as it is the Dems. And I may even offer either party a issue... That would be a Pierre Polyever type issue that could help him win at the state level. You can be the Republican or Democrat. If you take this issue, you're going to get some votes. So first off, let's get into the video itself. Go to YouTube, watch the video, and if you don't think, just Google Pierre Polyever, and it's P-O-I-L-I-E-V-R-E, apples in YouTube, and the video pops up. It's about a nine-minute video between this Canadian journalist, and Pierre Colliver, one of the leading uh, conservatives in Canada. So why is this video so hilariously funny? Well, the reporter asked kind of the typical bullshit questions that a lot of conservatives get asked. And they usually don't respond in a way that Pierre does. And Pierre just tears them apart, not by attacking them, by by responding to an unfair question with a question to clarify what the questioner meant by the question. So, for example... It starts off with a pretty traditional question about how are you gonna improve healthcare? Pierre responds to the question about healthcare. He's gonna have a blue panel commission to ensure that 20,000 licensed Canadian doctors are gonna be able to quickly get certified and that they're gonna be able to add to the doctor supply in Canada because there's currently a doctor shortage. Then he looks into Um, Then the next question was a series of kind of unfair standard bullshit questions. So what were these questions? Well, the reporter says, you kind of take a page out of the populist playbook. And rather than kind of respond to get defensive to that, um, Pierre asks him in response, well, what do you mean while he's chopping an apple? That's why people love this video. But it's not only that he's chopping the apple. It's how he responds to this. He says, what page? What page are you talking about? What do you mean by populism? And the guy can't respond to it, so it's in an age in inane question. So we just, if you're gonna ask a dumb ask question, it's completely fair for the interviewee to say, What do you mean by that? And then he says, then the next reporter question is: you use really emotional language in your in your network, in your in your political ideology. And rather than ask about um respondents, and so What do you mean? But he, he Pierre responds directly to him and says, what do you mean? What kind of emotional language am I using? What do you mean by that? I don't understand what you say. And then he says, well, you, you, you kind of have this, this, you know, a lot of people say that you ha- you take a page out of a Donald um, Trump playbook. And then he says, what do you mean by that? Who who says that? Who, who, who's saying that? And he says, well, I don't know. Um, he says, well, you're the one asking the question. If you're asking about people who say that I take the page out of Donald, Donald Trump playbook, who's saying that? The reporter can't answer that question. The other thing too is he said well you're taking a page out of the populace he says what page well and then the reporter kind of stumbles along and says well you know you kind of go left or right and pierce like no i know don't. I, don't, I don't usually talk about left or right and so the, the reporter is so, so what really let's unpack what he's really doing there if you're going to ask an abstract emotionally related red herring question you can tear apart that red herring question by asking a factual question to clarify what the hell they mean by this particular question. So if you're gonna say that you take a page out of the the populist playbook, it's perfectly fair to, rather than just trying to guess what the person's saying, well, what page are you responding to? So in other words, it's like a college essay. You have a degree of abstraction that you begin with, a premise, And then you try to provide illustrations to demonstrate what your thesis is. Well, if someone's asking a question that's abstract, the interviewer, it's perfectly fair for the interviewee to say, what page are you referring to? Or if people say, so when you ask an abstract question, you respond with a concrete question in response to clarify, which is perfectly fair. So if there's, say, some who say you are um, taking a page out of the... uh, Donald Trump playbook, why is that a dumbass question? First of all, who's some? Who are these people? If Elon Musk had said that, then he could say, oh, yeah, well, I can know what you're talking about. Then he can actually respond to the abstraction with a particularity. The page, what page are you talking about? What particular policy do I have that is populist? And what do you mean by populist? Define that for me, because I, I can't respond to a question that I don't understand. So it's perfectly fair to respond to that. And if you're going to say um, left or right, you can say, well, where have I ever talked about left or right? Can you provide me an example? So it's a very specific um, technique, I think, that's, u- that's used here that is very, very effective. So that's how he battled these unfair questions, as he tossed the interviewee, tossed the question back to the interviewer, and said, well, if you're not going to provide clarity as to Who's taking the page, what page of the um, playbook I'm taking for populism, or even what you mean by populism, I'm not even going to respond to that because it's totally unfair. Then you can say, oh, well, he's just kind of a cagey politician, not answering any question clearly. But here's the other thing that's genius about the interview. The interviewer is so, and the so, and by the way, as an aside, this is a classic case where this should be taught not only by aspiring politicians, but in journalism schools. This reporter clearly has an agenda. Now, if he's writing for the progressive times, fine, reveal your bias. But clearly they have a bias here. And it's and it's so obvious by the way that he's asking these questions. This is just the type of way that the guy would talk if he's hanging out with his guys, drinking a few broods. So that is, I think, perfectly fair to, to not only for politicians, but for journalists, if you're asking questions like that, clearly you're not neutral. And here, a, a talented journalist would say, well, you said on such and such a date that you embrace populism. What do you mean by that, Pierre? So that would be a fair question, an actual particular fact, and then have them respond to it. So the reporter gets so frustrated, eventually, he asks the question, well, why should Canadians vote for you? Well, that's a fair question, right? Every politician has to answer that question. And as soon as he asks a fair question, what is... Um, What does Pierre do? Instead of respond at the level of generality, he provides concrete illustrations as to what he means by it. So what does he do? He has a thesis statement. This is like college rhetoric. He says, I'm going to restore common sense to Canada and Canadian government to make common sense common again. Well, that's an abstraction. What does he mean by that? And here, I think he's absolutely genius. And I think I'll explain how a lot of Republicans lose this key talking point when they should be winning this talking point. So he goes in and talks about inflation. But even if most of us know what inflation is, too much money chasing too few goods, diminishing your buyer buying power. But here, he concretely explains why inflation is occurring and it's policy-related rather than just happening. He said that the Canadian government grew the monetary supply by 32% over the period of time that Pierre Trudeau was in um, power. And then he says eight times faster than the economy itself. That is obvious, and that's the way it's taught in economics classes, but how often do you say that politicians don't really explain how they can connect the, policy, the inflation with actual policy? Well, because a lot of think liberals have said, well, this is a worldwide phenomenon. We're just, we're kind of riding the inflation boat that's affecting everywhere. But he said, no, actually, if if the government, that is the Canadian government, is increasing the money supply by 32%, and that's eight times faster than the actual productive capacity of the current Canadian economy, what does that mean? That is too many dollars chasing too few goods. That is the classic thing that almost everyone learns in their basic economics class, whether it's in high school or college or even at the graduate level. Too much money chasing too much goods. And he provides a specific illustration as to why that would be the case. It's eight times faster than the economy. That makes sense. But then he goes on further. He then connects that illustration, that concrete demonstration, eight times faster than the money supply. Pierre then connects it directly to how it's going to affect. Okay, what does that boogeyman of inflation mean? It basically says, it means that it diminishes the purchasing power of your paycheck in things like goods and services, like the cost of your mortgage and the cost of your rent. So if there's too many dollars chasing too few houses, your rent's gonna go up. And that's one of the problems with inflation. It's extremely difficult for employers to keep up with their salaries that they're paying people to reflect the amount of money that's sloshing around in the economy. So people's purchasing power is diminished. It becomes monopoly money. And then he says, then he provides another in terms of housing. You know, a number of politicians that say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix affordable housing. I'm gonna fix affordable housing. And basically, what he said is, I'm gonna provide a specific explanation as to how I'm gonna make more housing available. How is he gonna do that? He, he explains how. So it's not only identify what the issue is, but identify the, the policy description as to how he's going to make that happen. It's, in terms of housing, he said, I will increase. Every Canadian city is going to need increased housing by up to 15%. And if they don't, they're going to lose federal dollars. If they do, they're going to increase 15, their, their, their federal Canadian dollars. So it's a specific illustration of that. Like, oh, wow, that makes sense. If they get these targets and he said, what's in the way of that? Bureaucracy getting these 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 bureaucratic institutions that stop development like that. And then in terms of crime, he says, hey, I want jail, not bail, very, very clear demonstration. And then for drug users, he says, I want solid treatment programs, not programs that enable decriminalization. So in other words, we're, we're gonna offer them a path forward that's humane, but we're not gonna spend all the money in terms of um, these giving drugs out in the street or giving um, needles. So she just does that one thing after another, he provides a concrete demonstration of what the policy means, how it happens, and then connecting it to the voter, what it will actually mean on the voter. And I see a lot of times, that's where I think a lot of Republicans, and Dems do too, but I'm trying to offer this for the Republicans because I want them to actually win. Although I am gonna offer an issue that I think could, would work for either party based on who's gonna take it. They fail to really connect this to a specific level of generality and what it will actually mean to the voters. So for example, the taxes, they usually speak at like, I'm for lowering taxes so we can, you know, they'll say to put more food on the table or to grow the economy, but they kind of stop at that level of generality. And so let me give you another example of how genius um, Pierre Polyavere is in terms of his policies. I was like, who is this guy? I'd never heard of Pierre Polyavere. So I, I Google him, I go to YouTube and I see a debate on the Canadian floor on their House of Commons between Justin Trudeau and Pierre Poilievre, there. And it's about the Canadian heating oil tax. And this is genius. Rather than just kind of complain about taxes as an abstraction, they're too high, I'm gonna lower them. He identifies one that is a heating oil tax. And the design is, and the intent is, who eventually replace the traditional heating mechanism in Canadian homes, which are propane-based heaters, and replace them with a heating pump. Why does Justin Trudeau want to do this? Well, evidently it's because of global warming. They wants to reduce carbon-based fuel, fuels, and then he wants to introduce heating pumps instead of propane into Canadian homes so that they can heat their homes during the winter more efficiently. So I'm not going to get into the particulars of whether that's a good or bad policy. I'll have to leave that to the Canadian heating oil experts. But when Pierre Polyavere attacks this particular tax, he very expressly connects it to Canadian homes. So in other words, this is something very fundamental. It's a tax on heating your home and staying warm. That is a a visceral issue that a lot of people can understand in a way that makes sense. But but better yet, he then, obviously, this is not a popular tax. So then one of Justin Trudeau's ministers said, well, if you want to avoid the tax or if you want to get relief on the tax, vote more Canadian liberals into power and you might might get some relief. And the areas in which support had started to crumble with um, Justin Trudeau they had basically given some exemptions to those particular regions in order to win political support. So here's what he's basically saying is, this not only is he particularly demonstrating how the tax is being implemented and who's being exempted from it, that is people that are going to try to support Justin Trudeau. He's also using one of Trudeau's own minister's own words to demonstrate how arbitrary and capricious the Canadian heating oil tax is, if you're an opponent of Justin Trudeau, you're likely gonna have to suffer and pay it. If you're an ally of Justin Trudeau, you might get an exemption from it. So he's not only explaining how bad the tax is in terms of the ability to heat your home, he's basically saying it's a corrupt tax in the way that it's enforced because it's arbitrary and capricious based upon who has to pay and who doesn't have to pay. So these are the sorts of techniques that he uses that to me, it's just basically whatever, what every college sophomore should learn how to figure out. But a lot of times politicians don't do this is they talk about the level of abstraction. I mean, so for example, for the Ukraine policy, for the proponents of the Ukraine policy, Can you identify one proponent who has clearly laid out why we should send our sons and daughters to Ukraine? Even though we haven't done that yet, we we basically are one step removed from it. So it's it's a very close reason there, or better yet, why we should spend all the gold and silver that we're sending to Ukraine above and beyond our own people who are suffering at a greater detail. Can you name one proponent on the right or left that is clearly articulated by providing a demonstration of why we're obtaining the policy, number one, and number two, to connect how that policy makes the United States safer, right? And so this is what Trudeau, or I'm sorry, Poglia there, this conservative politician candidate, is a master at. One, he attacks the existing policy by providing a concrete illustration of why the policy doesn't make sense with a detail. And then with that detail, he also connects it to a particular core aspect of the Canadian experience to say why this is going to be bad for the typical Canadian. And he just does this in a brilliant way. And so I haven't heard, like, for example, in Ukraine, someone clearly that's an advocate. The closest that I've heard them advocate and the closest I think that they've gotten to is the World War II analogy. And I'll probably do a separate podcast on that, too, in terms of like, well, there's some limitations there. And if we are going to start using the World War II analogy, I think I can use a lot of other analogies from either World War II and Vietnam that are going to get rid of that. But I think that's one of the difficulties that the so-called political experts in the United States have run into, is they really haven't explained, number one, why we need to be there, and number two, to connect why we're there with improving the lives of American people. Because isn't that the first task of every politician? So... I promised you. So I I just watch this, see whether you agree with me on that. But the way that he explains, the way that here, Polyavir both attacks an existing policy that it doesn't like, number one, is brilliant. And two, his proposals are clear. I mean, so housing proposal, a 15% target to increase the the supply of housing in every city, housing, and how he's going to do it in like two or three sentences in a way that you can understand. Or for doctors, Blue Urban Paddle, we have 20,000 doctors that don't have licenses because they were trained in a foreign country. We'll ensure that they have quality and that if they pass the test and demonstrate competency, we'll allow them to practice medicine in Canada. Brilliant. So at the beginning of this podcast, I articulated to you an issue in Iowa that I think could win either party. And it's just, it's a giant, huge just bread apple that's just just out there. That would be a huge policy win, And if the Dems had a clue, I, I think one can attack this particular policy from either right or left. If Dems had a clue, they would embrace this to and get rid of it. And what do I mean? You literally could get, you could maybe even swing elections on this one issue. So what issue would this be? It is the speed tax that is occurring in so many cities throughout the United States. You have heard of the speed tax? Oh, there is a tax. It is a tax. It is not related to public safety. It's solely to raise revenue. And it's basically um, a, a tax coupled with a um, thief, which is the company that pays for it. These photo speed traps that are now predominant throughout Iowa, that I think are the closest thing to it. Now they're called a fine. But if, you know, again, we're taking a page class out of the Pierre Colivier trade uh, uh, rhetoric book is you classify the thing as what it really is to a particular, and demonstrate why. So let's go through with this. So if in the last like month, I've gotten like five tickets, way, way too many of these speed traps. So hey, if you drive through North Di- East Island, Di- guarantee you're going to get some too. But what would you do? You would say, hey, I know a guy here that is making minimum wage, barely able to get to work over the last month, literally has had $500 worth of taxes. So this this particular individual is literally having to choose between paying for food on the table or paying his rent and paying a speed tax. Ladies and gentlemen, if elected, I will revoke the speed tax on all hardworking islands. Isn't that good? Either party. I know there's been some efforts. My only guess is either Republicans in charge, the Democrats, they've both been bought off. There's no public safety benefit for it. If there is, fund officers to ensure that there's not adequate speeding. Are we really saying that we're going to be a ton safer in um, OY? And a lot of these are like at the edge. Some of them I got where it was like I was driving 45 in a 35 zone on my way out of town. I mean, that kind of shit. And so this would be a concrete policy that Dems could use that would allow them to win votes. They could clearly articulate the message, the policy, what would do if they would be elected, they can explain why it's bad, and they connected that on day one, if elected, they will make sure that that is done to ban, speed trap, speed tax cameras throughout the state of Iowa. Republicans, you could do it too. I wish you would do it because this is a huge civil liberties issue too. Private company paying a speed tax. You don't like taxes, but that's what it is. It's a way for cities to raise revenue. Um, and I've tended to notice that it's the cities that are kind of a little bit down on their luck. They know they can't raise taxes. So then they're, they're, it's just, it's literally biting off your nose to spite your face. And it's the type of thing that is just, it's, it's a big red meatball of an issue that if Dems had a clue, they could articulate. There's a whole bunch of other issues that Dems had a clue, they can win elections, but they're incompetent. They instead they just do the same bullshit. Like, I'm for education, but they never explain how they're actually going to make it better, other than throwing money at them, right? So you're for education, but you can't provide a specific illustration or program. Republicans are much more effective with that. They like community colleges and higher education, and so they're like, "Hey, this is a work training program," and then they actually identify what the benefit to the taxpayer is. Dems can't do that. They're horrible at issue spotting horrible at explaining why. And so, you know, I guess if you want to lose elections, continue doing the bullshit. Now, I think some of the same critiques could be applied to the national politicians, you know, like, for example, on the shutdown. I think, you know, of course there is, I mean, for the people that, so here's the interesting question for the shutdown that possibly could happen this week. There's the politics of it and the policy of it. If there are people that really think that the current policies are so bad that whatever risk there is associated with shutting down is actually outweighed by the status quo of continuing. And I I think maybe there is an argument there. But my guess is, is that most people that are articulating for the shutdown believe that it's a winning message for Republican voters, that, that somehow they're more likely to vote for them. And I just don't think so. There may be someone working for a federal agency that votes Republican that's going to be furloughed while this is in place. There may be people that are federal contractors that are paying employees that won't get checks for six weeks. There's this huge ripple effect that they're not really being honest about. And that's hard to blame another party when you're the one in charge of it. So these are the sorts of things where it's like, hey, what would Pierre, Pierre, Pierre Polybar do in terms of explaining this particular policy? I can't hazard a guess, but what I bet he would do if he was a proponent of the shutdown, he would provide a concrete illustration of explaining why the current policy is so bad. And maybe he would say, why should we pay for a shell in the Ukraine while the people in Flint, Michigan, don't have adequate water? I would much rather p- put it in Flint. So he's he's getting people's minds a trade off of, we're spending money here, means we're not spending money there. I think that's what Pierre Polyver would do. Again, the yes-no coupling. Biden believes that if you say yes to something, you're not saying no to something else. When he says yes to the Ukraine, yes to unlimited funding for Israel, he's saying no to other things that he could be doing in the United States. And if he's not saying no to other things, he's causing inflations because what would Peter Pelley say? Too much money chasing too few goods. That's why it costs you 400 bucks every time to go to Walmart. When I've been going to Walmart lately, I love Walmart it's like 400 bucks. It's expensive to go shop at Walmart. Seriously, it, it's are right. Our, our money is becoming less and less valuable. So I just thought this was rarely, you know, it's interesting when videos go viral. I'm mean, not the only one that studies why they work, but as kind of a student of politics and someone who I think is pretty good at rhetoric, you know, maybe I'm like the high school basketball player that's not very good that like can explain why he, someone else is really good, I don't know. But as a student of politics, student of rhetoric, I think when these viral videos, it's not just that it's funny, and, and the video is hilariously funny because it's just such a takedown of just kind of a liberal half ass bullshit journalist. And by the way, that's what we have all across the United States. Do you have people like Mike Pence that have no idea how to respond to them? Probably, I would say, who would probably be the best American? Well, there's Trump, obviously. He'd be one of the best. But I'd say another one would be Mike Huckabee, Mike Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, they are really good at providing an illustration of what that means and explaining why the policy is bad. I'd say that probably be the, the best one. But so many of them are absolutely horrible at the why question, the what, the who, the why, right? And these are freshman, sophomore things. Now, they may have responses to that, but I would say that Pierre Paulybert is a national politician. He's made a huge impact not only in the United States, but in Canada. And he's also, sound, come, he comes across as sensible, reasonable, empirically sound, focused, and competent, which is what you want in leaders for your particular nation. And he was able to do that in a nine minute video with, by the way, not spending any money. This is all free advertising. That is absolute genius. So when you see it, you got to call it out. By the way, if there's a dem that can do the same thing, well, I mean, like, for example, Michael Moore, he's a genius video. I don't necessarily agree with his policies. He makes a funny movie, right? So I think to look at these techniques, Republicans should win every election. I think the state level politicians are much more effective than the national politicians. But these are things that I think we all have to be able to study because I want Republicans to win. Um, Because I really believe, there's still a lot of Republicans that I'm critical of, but I really believe this. I believe voting for Republicans right now is essential to save the United States Republic. I really believe that. And of course, if, if that's how you feel, if it's difference between a stable and solid Republic and a Republic of chaos, um, you you want you want the Republicans to win, and you don't want them to unnecessarily lose. The other thing that's good about this Pierre Pauliavaire um, video, and I guess, in conclusion, is that Pierre Pauliavaire, sure, he has kind of this this what do we call it? rapier wit, you know, is that the is that the right word? Rapia? I, I don't know. I just pulled that out of my ass, but he has a good wit. He's clearly sharp. He's clearly educated. He's clearly experienced. And he's roughly telegenic for a politician. I mean, but he's not like Tom Cruise. I think the point is, is I think these are techniques that could be taught um, to candidates that want to actually win. Now, there may be a pushback to say that by being specific, you alienate specific people. But I think if you're in a situation where if you're losing elections and you were not specifically illustrating um, why your policies are going to make sense to the common voter, I think it's, it's whoever you're going to alienate, you're, you're likely going to lose it. Because there's a lot of people that aren't necessarily either right or left, to Pierre quality point, just people. <clears throat> so for example, on uh, state level issues, that 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 traffic camera issue, I think there's a lot of voters that don't give a shit about politics either way. They'd be like, hey, I, 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 I'm going to hate these things. I hate these cameras. And if there's a candidate that's going to go against them, they've got my vote. And so that is, I think, is something that um that Pierre Collier did very effectively. And also, I think it's something that can that can be taught. So I think when you go back and you look at why a candidate fails, like I think Mike Pence thinks that he failed because he um just the changing times were in this toxic environment of populism created by Donald Trump. And of course, there's you know, that's the critique. I don't think it's toxic. I think it's called policy. But if you look at the interview that Tucker Carlson did with Mike Pence during one of those debates, in one question, he sealed Mike Pence's fate, which was, when we have these problems in the inner city, why should we support Ukraine until we fix the United States' problems first? So it's a very specific question, and responses. Kunst's response is, well, that's the least of my concerns. I, I support Ukraine. I support being tough. And he basically, whatever chance he had, he completely lost it. So, wow. I just think it's good to see when when you see someone do something really, really well, and they're really a master at their craft. Um, I, I saw it at least twice with the How Do You Like Them Apples video. See if you can see the heat and oil debate on YouTube involving Pierre there and Justin Trudeau. That's also a ma- masterclass, but I think it's a masterclass. Each candidate, each country is unique, but I think it would translate to United States politicians. I think, for example, DeSantis, one of his issues is he has failed to provide these concrete illustrations. It's been at the levels of generalities. I think the, the strongest issue he had was on the crime. And he has provided some specific demonstrations, but I would actually talk about neighborhoods that have been revived because they now feel safer. I would provide someone that moved from California to Florida who was a middle-class person that felt safe because of the, the law enforcement. I a law enforcement who moved to Florida so they could participate in a state that actually valued and celebrated law enforcement. I mean, these are the sorts of things that I think he could have done. Instead, he's wasting his all his efforts in China. So. I can't do it for them. These are some very highly paid political consultants, but I think all these candidates need to do, watch, number one, watch the pierre paul highly like Them Apples video. Two, look in your own mind as to why you think it works, number two. Number three, what are the ways in which this particular video could be used effectively for winning votes here in the United States? I think if you can do all of those things, you are well on your way to, um, running a competent and effective political campaign. So that's it for this episode of the Rocky cast. I have been promising you to do videos that did not involve politics, but there are a lot of big issues. And so even though normally I kind of don't do politics because number one, like how am I going to impact the world? Number two, the trade-off when you focus externally is I think you lose sight over the things within your control. That's why I end up my core is a stoic. I'm a conservative stoic that I want to focus on the things that I can control and let go of the things that I can't. Well, I I can't control I think Biden is totally incompetent or national leaders are totally incompetent. But hopefully I can maybe influence a few people to see the light and and get a clue and start embracing good policy unless they want jobs to be lost and chaos in the streets and dysfunctional government. So that's why I'm doing this. But that said, I am going to do some book reviews that I've been doing, um, books that I've been reading that are freaking awesome. And we are going to do some health-related stuff. I'm going to provide, I've been thinking about doing a um, Socratic method Um, should you have bariatric surgery Podcast. I have never had bariatric surgery. I've never known someone that's had bariatric surgery or had a huge issue in the question of obesity and traditional medical approaches to a deal with severe and morbid obesity. I think it'd be interesting to do a podcast where I don't necessarily provide any answers. I only provide a series of questions that I hope that you would ask, not only yourself, but your healthcare provider um, before you make that kind of decision. So I, I think I can do that. I think I can tell people what questions they should ask. Rather than what um, to give you prescriptive advice because well, I am not a doctor, um, so we're going to continue to have a lot of high quality stuff. Uh, my episode numbers have been kind of bombing. I'm not. I, I do appreciate. I am probably going to do a for about there's about twelve to twenty people that regular not twenty thousand, not twenty hundred, but like twenty that regularly listen to this podcast. I probably am going to do. A video and or a, or a podcast in celebration of all 20 of you that routine I, i've had some that are higher my my record actually is on todd it's about 1400 that is listens so we're, we don't have a huge audience yet but i do appreciate each of the 20 of you that actually listens thank you so much for listening i do love doing these podcasts it's nice to have an audience on the other end I think I'm also going to be trying to do some interviews of like old college professors. I've interviewed my dad. There's a couple in his nursing home that I want to interview before they die. Uh, So I'm hopefully going to be able to get some of those good interviews out there. And I'm going to continue to do some health related stuff. So give me positive reviews on Apple, Spotify. Let's try to, as a group, let's try to increase the Cast average listens to 30. Right now it's between 15 and 20. Um, so we're going to try to increase that and we need your help to get that done. But I am going to continue to putting out this, this content because I love doing it. It's a lot of fun and it's not right. So that's episode it for this episode of the Rocking Cast until next time you and I see each other again on the Rocking Cast.